Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Lauren Gabe here. It's October 18th, and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, she chose 2021 coming out stories. For our conversation of all things sports, we're talking about the WNBA finals. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're talking about the fall of John Gruden. After that, we're going to share our interview with the DC Center. First, an update on Team DC. Registration is now open for Challenge Cup 3. This team competition event will take place in person on November 20th at Pitchers. Go to teamdc.rallyup.com backslash Challenge Cup 3, that's Challenge Cup III, or teamdc.org to register. Teams of five will compete in trivia, beer pong, darts, flip cup, and more to take the Challenge Cup. You can also buy raffle tickets for a chance to win four lower level seats to a Nats game next season. Raffle tickets are available on the event registration page. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for more updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Laura and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. Now, here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. All right, for my queer topic, in honor of National Coming Out Day, we're going to talk about a few notable people who have come out so far in 2021. First up, Jojo Siwa. My six-year-old niece was super excited about this story. The 18-year-old reality star turned singer, actor, and YouTube sensation broke the internet in January when she came out as a member of the LGBTQ community in a series of posts on social media. Jojo is dating a girl and currently making history on Dancing with the Stars as the first contestant in 30 seasons to dance with a person of the same sex. In a February interview with Time Magazine, Brothers Osborne singer-guitarist TJ Osborne came out as gay, becoming the first openly gay man signed to a major country music label and one of the first mainstream country artists to come out at the prime of their career. Former Bachelor star and NFL player Colton Underwood shocked fans when he revealed that he is gay in a taped interview on ABC's Good Morning America in April. Actor and singer Demi Lovato came out as non-binary in May and said they would be changing their pronouns to they, them. American Idol runner-up David Archuleta revealed in June that he is part of the LGBTQ community. 
Las Vegas Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib and Michaela Kennedy Cuomo, the youngest daughter of former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and Carrie Kennedy, also came out as queer during Pride Month. Tommy Dorfman, who stars in the show 13 Reasons Why, came out as transgender in an interview with Time Magazine in July, and Nashville Predators Luke Prokop announced he is gay in July, making him the first openly gay active NHL player when the season began this month. And the Queen of Halloween, Elvira, also known as actor Cassandra Peterson, revealed in her September memoir that she has been in a nearly two-decade relationship with a woman. So many coming out stories. Happy National Coming Out Day once again, any, everyone. And uh, Gabe, are any of these coming out stories particularly surprising or interesting for you so far this year? I mean, the big one, I think, uh, in the sports world was uh, the Carl Nassib one that came out. I mean, that, that was pretty big and brought, you know, attention to, you know, gays and the LGBT community as being part of the NFL and, and sports and stuff like that and being one of the, the five major sports. Uh, the JoJo Siwa thing, I think, is awesome and what's going on, Dancing with the Stars. I don't know if you saw her Viennese waltz, but did a whole Cinderella thing, and she was Prince Charming, which is kind of awesome. It was Girl, cute. you know I don't watch Dancing with the Stars. Come on! <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> it was cute. It was cute. Um, the one that also made me laugh was uh, What's-His-Face from The Bachelor, Colton Underwood, because wasn't that the season where they were, like, kept pipping him out saying that he's the virgin bachelor and he's the one where he jumped over the fence? Yes. He was the virgin <laughs> bachelor. It turned out he was really just the closeted gay bachelor. Whoa, 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 this is the thing. He was the virgin bachelor, but he had been messing around with guys. So well, technically right. he wasn't a virgin, but... I mean, if we're going to get into a debate about what is and is not a virgin, like, we're probably going to have to sign up for Christian conservative talk radio instead of... Uh, on uh, Team DC podcast, but what is it? It depends on what the word is. Is <laughs> something like that? Uh, no, I mean, look, we've t- we talked about a couple of these stories as they happen during the year, and like at the end of the day, we are happy for everybody to join the community, come out, be yourself, be proud of your of who you are and who you love. Um, Except for Kevin Spacey. Well, I mean, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I, like Kevin Spacey's a sexual predator, right? Like there's a difference. <laughs> I mean, if Kevin Spacey wanted to just come out as queer, that would have been like, okay. But... but yeah, no. Um, be proud of who you love, unless you're a sexual predator. I don't. Know. <laughs> I'm not sure that is. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that counts as a proper definition of love, anyway. Um, I mean, and the Elvira one. I mean that. Yeah. we kind of got those vibes i mean we saw her on on like rupaul's drag race and stuff like that and i was like okay you know like I, and you, she like she knows that she's a huge supporter of the lgbt community and she's got a huge fan base i mean obviously, because, I mean, obviously. She, it's like how long has it been since she was elvira and i think she still shows up to things as elvira like please the other thing too did you see that it was an epic video of uh my girl Lizzo, when she defended Demi Lovato about pronouns and told that reporter, that uh, paparazzi guy, like, oh no, it's, you know, they, them, this is the pronouns that they're using, be respectful. And the guy was like, oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I mean, Lizzo's the bomb. Yeah, I, uh, Demi Lovato is like one of those weird people who I have always known that they exist, but never quite knew what they did. Um, and now- I love, I, love, I love what they did on, um, what was that stupid Eurovision movie that I still love? 
I nobody saw that movie other than I you. saw it. It was okay. The song was Oscar nominated. Yeah. Okay. It was a Eurovision movie. It was on Netflix. You should check it out. Um, I think the fact that you're arguing with me about whether anybody ever saw the movie and you can't remember the name of it is a very sad commentary on the anyway, it was of, your, of your taste in, in movies. <laughs> they played this. I think it was from Iceland. This Icelandic singer that blows up on a ship. It was hilarious. <laughs> and then they come back as a ghost to like haunt the main characters. Okay. Great. Great. Well, I will say this. We have now an out player in the NFL, an out player um, in the NHL. There were a bunch of uh, WWE wrestling personalities who have come out so far this year. Yep, Tommy yep, yep. Dorfman. Tommy Dorfman did a really cool uh, interview when Tommy came out as uh, trans in Time Magazine. So lots of cool coming out stories so far this year. And welcome to the family and keep them coming. That's all I can say. Yeah. So what's going on in sports? All right. Next up in sports, congratulations to the Chicago Sky for winning their very first franchise history WNBA championship. In game one of the championship series, the Chicago Sky went on the road and put together a comprehensive performance on both ends of the floor to secure a 91-77 victory over the Phoenix Mercury. Talia Copper continued her breakout campaign with 21 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, and two steals, and an impressive all-around performance. Courtney Vandersloot ran the show as, as per usual with 12 points and 11 assists, while Stephanie Dolson stepped up off the bench to chip in 14 points. The Mercury, who are shorthanded due to injuries, seemed out of gas at times. Brittany Griner went for 20 points, six rebounds, and three assists, but was not quite as dominant as she has been at times in this run. Diana Taurasi, meanwhile, had 17 points, but was rather ineffective overall. She dealt with foul trouble all game long and turned the ball over six times. The Mercury then escaped with a 91-86 overtime win over Chicago in game two, even the series at 1-1. Game two was the Brittany Griner show. She was tremendous right from the opening tip, throwing down a dunk and scoring the Mercury's first 10 points to help them stay in the game earlier. When the final buzzer sounded, she had tied her playoff career high with 29 points and added nine rebounds and two blocks in 41 minutes of play. Kalia Copper scored 20 of her game-high 22 points in the first half, and the Chicago Sky dominated Phoenix Mercury 86-50 in game three of the WNBA Finals. Candace Parker had 13 points, four rebounds, and three assists, and Courtney Vandersloot added 10 assists for the Sky, who posted the largest margin of victory ever in a WNBA Finals game. The number six-seeded Sky erased a double-digit deficit and came back in the final minutes to defeat the Phoenix Mercury 80-74 in Game 4. The Mercury held a 12-point lead, their largest of the game, with just three minutes left to play in the fourth quarter. Candace Parker cut into it with seven consecutive points, all fueled by a refocused Chicago defense that pulled them within five. Her three-pointer snapped a skid of 10 consecutive missed threes for Chicago. She then scored off a pass from Vandersloot on the transition and hit two free throws after the defense blocked an attempt by Shea Petty. Chicago then went on an 11-point run to ultimately win game four and clinch the franchise's first ever WNBA championship. 
But Dave, did you get to catch any of the WNBA finals this year? What did you think? Uh, sadly, I didn't because I'm a bad gay and I haven't actually been watching a lot of sports because there's kind of this thing at the end of the month that I'm getting ready for. But um, <laughs> uh, but just like going through the stats and seeing like getting the play by plays of like seeing, you know, the highlights of what was going on. I mean, that's amazing. For them to go 30 points in a final, like that's insane. I mean, well, yeah, like, first of all, Chicago and Phoenix, neither of them were excited. They're not. Yeah, I mean, everyone's really for Connecticut. We're just like, okay, whatever. But well, and leading up to the finals, the games had been all super close, and then we got into the championship series, and just ran away with it. The Phoenix did manage to pull out one win, but it was a very close game that they had to go to overtime to win. And then, you know, Chicago was just really dominant. Um, now, the one game that Phoenix did win, Brittany Griner, um, she ha- she threw down this dunk on the opening play of the game <laughs> that was wild. And there were um, a couple of Phoenix Suns players, the NBA team, yeah. right there in the front row. And they, like, went crazy. <laughs> they were like... I mean, they clearly had never seen a woman jump that high. It was really, <laughs> it was really exciting. I love Brittany Griner, um, but you know this this was a, this was all Chicago. It doesn't take anything away from the fact that Brittany Griner and Rossi are two of the best ever players in the WNBA history. Um, but this this uh, WNBA Finals was all Chicago. So good for them. And I'm really excited for another exciting season of WNBA basketball next year. I mean, that's awesome. Congrats to them. So it's their first time ever. Yeah. First franchise history. I mean, that's things should celebrate. Yeah, They're probably excited. And, uh, apparently, attendance for WNBA games up in Chicago is up by like more than 100% this year. So finally, the city of Chicago is noticing that they have a professional women's basketball team. It's about damn time um dominating sports right now (laughs) yeah absolutely but yeah no really all around amazing uh WNBA finals it was really exciting just wrapped up a couple hours ago oh awesome yeah the time of taping (laughs) (laughs) um so what's going on in the intersection of sports and queer all right for this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer we are talking about John Gruden and also about the NFL's reaction to John Gruden. (laughs) Las Vegas Raiders head coach John Gruden resigned on Monday following the revelation of homophobic and racist emails that he sent to friends around the NFL. The emails were discovered as part of the NFL's investigation into the Washington football team. In one of them, Gruden calls NFL commissioner Roger Goodell a faggot and clueless anti-football pussy. He also denounced Goodell for supposedly pressuring the Rams to pick Michael Sam in the 2014 NFL draft, referring to the defensive lineman as a queer. In addition, Gruden sent an email to Allen in 2015 asking him to tell Brian Glazer, whose family owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, to perform oral sex on him. Gruden coached the Buccaneers from 2002 to 2008, winning a Super Bowl in his first season. He also mocked Caitlyn Jenner for for transitioning after she received an ESPY award. Gruden released a statement Monday night saying, quote, I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. 
I'm sorry, I never meant to hurt anyone. As we all know, Carl Nassib came out this year becoming the first openly gay player to play in the NFL, and until Monday, he was coached by John Gruden. When Nassib came out, Gruden publicly offered his support, saying, quote, I learned a long time ago what makes a man different is what makes him great. But Gruden's emails obviously suggest that there is more to this story. On Wednesday, the Raiders confirmed that Nassib had requested to take a personal day away from the team and that Nassib had the team's support. On NBC's Football Night in America on Monday, former NFL coach Tony Dungy dismissed Gruden's racially insulting emails as a singular lapse in judgment, saying, quote, I'm not going to chalk everything up to racism. I think we accept his apology, move forward, and move on just like he did with this team. Mike Tirico, who worked with Gruden on Monday Night Football, also defended his friend, saying he never saw anything, quote, that would say John is racist in any way. Granted, this was before the second slew of nasty Gruden emails had been released, but these weren't the only NFL personalities clamoring to stand up for Gruden. Thankfully, there were others in the NFL who were not jumping on the Gruden pity party bandwagon. LA Chargers head coach Brandon Staley had this to say when asked about the Gruden firing. Perspective and trust in this world are really, really difficult to achieve. I think about all the people that were affected by those emails, whether you're a person of color, whether you're a person you know, a gender, your sexual orientation, that's who I'm thinking about because it's a sacred mantle for someone to call you coach or someone to call you a leader. Trust is really, really hard to achieve in this world. It's really, really challenging to achieve, especially with people with those groups that I just mentioned. People are really guarded and skeptical of people because of emails like that. Kindness and lifting people up and respecting people you don't know, I just think that's such a big part of our thing here. Listening to people and learning about people because I think what you'll discover is that we have so much more in common than not. For someone like me, it's just incumbent upon you to set the example every single day so that people that were talked about in those emails, that they don't need to feel that way. They shouldn't feel that way. Hopefully, all of us can learn from this, that it's about bringing people together for me so that people can become the people that they dream about. For me, leading this football team and being someone, hopefully, we can be a light for those people in those emails, that not everybody's like that that there's far more people that will love you than the opposite. Hopefully this will be a chance for everybody to come together instead of go apart. Now, Brandon Staley isn't the most articulate of people, but I think the message that he was trying to convey is pretty obvious and it's a lot better than what we were hearing from Tony Dungy, Mike Tirico, and all the other guys who were so desperate to defend John Gruden this week. So Gabe, there's a lot to think about um, with this whole situation. And again, it raises the question of how are things really going for Carl Nassib and other LGBTQ plus football players who might be thinking of coming out this year. What did you think about this story? Did it strike a chord with you, make you think about anything in particular? It did. Um, first off, I think it's it's good on the NFL that there this came to light. It wasn't just brushed, you know, under the rug. Um, and so it was like talking about like, is this like a recent thing? Is it new or whatever? And I was like, no, this has been going on for a while, but it's been going on throughout the NFL, like through different teams. They found out 
you know, it was an investigation with the Washington football team, you know, here at home that they found these emails and what's going on. And it's just not him. There's a whole bunch of other coaches and NFL staff that are, you know, using this language. To, they have these feelings and stuff like that. So this, I, hopefully there's going to be a lot of like cleanup in the NFL. I doubt it, but I think people are going to be very wise in what they say and what they put on paper and what they put on emails. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know how many times here we are in 2021, like how many times do we have to learn the lesson that yeah. now everybody's going to hear it eventually. Now, some of these emails were 10 years old, but some of them weren't. Some of yeah. them, I think, were only two or three years old. Like, Yeah, that, that's the thing. People are like, oh, well, this was a long time ago. Maybe he learned and he's changed. I was like, no, he hasn't. Clearly, yeah, uh, no, they they're pretty recent emails. <laughs> These emails, it wasn't one off. There were an awful lot of them and they spanned over the course of many years. Um, it was pretty truly disgusting what it revealed about his uh, biases and his character. Um, and of course, you know, it's not about being sorry you got caught, right? It's about actually changing people's minds and changing behaviors. Um, you and I talked about it a little bit at the beginning of this season of this podcast, when we talked about Carl Nelson coming out, there were immediately all kinds of supportive messages, but it begs the question, what is Carl Nassib's day-to-day life really like in the NFL? What is he really <laughs> experiencing in the locker room, on the field? And I can't even imagine what it must have felt like for him to wake up and read in the paper these things that his very own coach had been saying about LGBT. And that's the thing, like you have that relationship with your coach, you have this like special bond and it's like, are you, we we don't know, was he acting a certain way on the field? Was it just like for show? You know, we don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, we can't know what it's like to be Carl Nassib every day, but I um, would bet that it was pretty devastating for him to have to read this stuff. Nobody should have to be confronted with that, with somebody who they who is in a leadership position over them saying things like this about the LGBTQ plus community. So the fact that the Raiders um, were not going to just let this uh, kind of pass is a really good thing. It would have been particularly terrible for Gruden to try to hang on to his job. Given- oh, yeah given that he happened to be currently coaching the only openly gay player in the NFL, it would have been completely unacceptable. So at least he did the right thing by, by resigning quickly. Um, but yeah, disappointing to say the least. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a little accountability. He automatically resigned, but I'm pretty sure there was pressure after the second wave of emails came out and it's like, Oh no, this is a pattern. This has been going on for years. You need to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad he didn't try to fight it more than that, for sure. But at the end of the day, like, it still doesn't change the fact that these attitudes are obviously still prevalent in the NFL and that that needs to change. Well, it's, I mean, it's one of, like, it, it's, you know, NFL has always been kind of like a old boys club and kind of thing. So it's definitely, there's some changes that need to be done. But it's also like how, I don't know, it, it's, it seems like we're taking, yeah, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. Like we're getting there. They're getting more inclusive. They're coming out with these programs and doing all this stuff. And then like you read something like this and it's like, oh. Yeah, okay. but that's exactly why it's important for there to be accountability, for there yeah, to be action. Definitely. And then, you know, people like Tony Dungy need to learn their lesson too about why, you know, it's important to hold these people accountable and not make apologies for them. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's like, I get it. You're, it's your friend. You've probably worked with them for years and stuff like that. But I, I always hate that. Like, oh, he never does this like out, you know, this is never his. I was like, are you sure? Do you, you're not with your friend every day. Like I need you behind closed doors and stuff like that, even though you yeah, work well, together, whatever. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because Tony Dungy and Mike Tirico, who were two sort of um, voices who came to his defense, men. So for them to say, look, I have a personal relationship with this guy. And I, um, it's not, hasn't been my experience that he's racist. I don't think that that's meaningless, but I do think that um, people just need to be aware of the fact that the way that somebody treats you or like their circle, their immediate circle is not necessarily indicative of how they treat um, people in general, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So the fact that yeah. John Gruden treated Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy with respect because they're like NFL icons does not mean that he treats all Black people with respect. Same way, yeah. And of course, on top, then you add on top of that all the LGBTQ stuff, which, in fairness to Tony Dungy and Mike Tirico, I believe that all of the anti-queer emails had not yet been released at the point that those two spoke up. I think only the racial ones had been released at that point. But still, it's just, it's all too much. I think we should all, you. everybody needs to realize that even if you want to believe in your friend and your personal relationship with your friend, it is not your interaction, your personal interaction with somebody is not indicative of their behavior as a whole. And if they are using racial slurs or homophobic slurs in general conversation and communication, you better like think twice. Think something about it. Yeah. Think twice before you assume that they're not racist or not homophobic just because they're nice to you. Yeah, it's the whole like Dorothy and Barbara Thor Thorndike from the Golden Girls, where she wanted to go to the Mortimer Club, but they didn't allow Jewish people. But you know, they have great parking, and then like <laughs> the sound is great. And Dorothy's like, no, obviously, you know, the whole like, well, I'm not racist, but you know, you're still supporting it. Come on now. <laughs> so be like Dorothy, everyone. That's right. Uh, call out the Barbaras in your life. <laughs> call out the Barbaras. Be a be a Zbornat. <laughs> okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with the DC Center. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today, we are joined by Kimberly Bush, the Interim Executive Director and Director of Arts and Cultural Programs, and Justin Johns, the Office Administrator from the DC Center. Welcome, Kimberly and Justin. Thanks for being here. Hey there, good to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, we are very excited to learn more about the DC Center today. So why don't we just start right there? Seems like the obvious place for anyone who doesn't know, what is the DC Center and generally what do y'all do? Uh, well, the DC Center is Washington DC's Community Center for the LGBTQ community. Uh, and um, one of our many main goals on a daily basis is to educate, empower, celebrate, and connect uh, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer communities through uh, health and wellness supports, um, our art and cultural programs, social and peer support groups, and advocacy and community building efforts. That is a wide area of uh, <laughs> services. So um, I wanted to focus for a little bit on your arts and cultural program. So tell us why it is important for an organization like the DC Center 
support LGBTQ plus arts and culture? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, for many, many, many years, LGBTQ arts and culture um, has not been supported or appreciated nor embraced by general society. Um, and it's always been very important for me um, as an artist and myself and as an art advocate to provide a, a platform and a venue for our LGBTQ creatives to, um, to uplift their experiences, to share their artistic and cinematic masterpieces, um, their visions and life stories, especially amongst our marginalized and underrepresented artists, such as our BIPOC and trans artisans. So it's just been, it's very integral. It's very important to provide the support, provide the venue um, so that they're seen and heard and, and we see ourselves in art and are heard through art. Very cool. And I know one of the most popular uh, events that you all throw is the Real Affirmations Film Festival. So can you talk a little bit about that and how that got started? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Real Affirmations is Washington, D.C.'s LGBTQ International Film Festival. And we've been going uh, 28 years strong. Um, wow. And uh, we also have a, a monthly film series. But um, each year we do our best to um, have an amazing slate of, you know, 50 to 100 diverse and inclusive uh, films hailing from all over the globe. Um, we have narratives, documentaries, short films, just about every genre of film you can think of from comedy to horror to rom-com. Um, and we also um, spend a good deal of time uh, cultivating, uh, curating um, after screening um, opportunities like director talkbacks and Q and A's, uh, round tables, um, community discussions, all to be able to uh, further connect the community with the artist, the community with the topic, the community with the vision, um, which also often helps um, facilitate change with the, whether it be, you know, to the individual or, you know, on, on a more community um, level. Um, but this year's festival will be a, a hybrid of a virtual as well as in-person screenings, but all that is, is TBA. All right, cool. So um, how do you pick the movies? Is it just like a general slate or do you just... It, it's a it's a process and one that we go through every year. So beginning in January, um, we open up our film submission platform, which actually is called Film Freeway. Um, and we do a ton of social media messaging to get the word out to filmmakers, distributors, et cetera, that we're starting our film submission season. Um, so, you know, right away, um, films are submitted through this platform. Um, and around the same time, I gather our film festival programming team which is made up of, of volunteers, amazing, dedicated volunteers, film lovers, film aficionados. Some have background in film and arts, um, some do not, but it doesn't matter. We, we want to have everyone's um, you know, opinion um, heard. And a lot of my volunteers have been repetitive, have come back year after year after year. Um, and so we take the time to um, all, of our, all of our volunteers, great healthy mix of LGBTQ individuals, we take the time to spend the next several months reviewing and critiquing films and scoring them. Um, and then it, it, once the film submission um, uh, deadline comes, which is usually around July-ish or so, uh, we then spend the time to curate the, the film festival into like a very well-rounded and uh, provocative slate of films over the course of you know, three to five days, depending on you know, what we have going on that year. Yeah, so that, that's really neat. So where would um, I go if I wanted to let you know I was interested in being part of your committee. Oh, well, we do have um, on, on our website, you can just go to the dccenter.org backslash volunteer and you can sign up to be a volunteer there. 
um, or my email is all over any, any of our arts pages on our website. Um, and it definitely says for volunteer opportunities to contact me directly, which is cool. Kimberly at the dccenter.org. Great, and I assume on the same website, which is dccenter.org, you will find information about where to go to submit your film if you are a filmmaker? Um, not at this time because we have closed our film submissions, but typically we do have the film freeway uh, graphic and uh, button in the whole nine yards. So you can just submit right through our website right on the film freeway. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I have seen some real affirmation films at E Street. Is that a location that you might, that you're expecting to have some films this year? Not this year. We just got wind that they're opening back up again. So, so well, I, I can't say not this year. It's, it's, we'll have to see how um, our film festival goes this year because we have had our monthly film uh, series at E Street prior to COVID. And it was an, it's an amazing art house with you know great staff and the community really feels comfortable and, and enjoys going there. So I do expect um, to be able to, to go back soon. Yeah. Um, one other thing about the film festival, do you try to, obviously it's an LGBTQ plus film festival, but do you otherwise try to have like one theme per year or is it just, these are the best films that we saw this year? So we don't go by theme. Um, we go by um, just good films or films with a, an amazing message. Um, we often, um, we, we, we do pride ourselves on not always screening the blockbusters, not always screening the films that are on the circuit, um, because we do get a lot of films that are not on the circuit that are glorious and amazing films that need to be seen and heard. So, you know, you'll get a smattering, you'll get like a combo platter of things that may be at Outfest, which is LA's film festival or Frameline or, or New Fest, um, but we also screen films that you have not seen anywhere else. Cool. And when, um, do you know when the film festival is going to start this year? Um, in late October. So the, the dates and all that kind of good stuff is TBA. Um, but we are in the process of, of getting everything finalized. So it will be late October. Great. Cool. What other arts and cultural events does the DC Center uh, support each year? Uh, so we do have a literary festival called Outright. Um, and that's in like it's 10 plus year. And that's a three day uh, festival. It happens every August. Um, where film, um, I'm sorry, literary uh, book lovers and authors and um, poets, you know, we all, they all get together and we have workshops and presentations and readings and the whole nine yards. It's just a really amazing event. So we have Outright. Um, we also have um, DC Queer Theater Festival, which again is also an annual film festival. And we do try and do quarterly events for Outright and for, um, for DC Queer Theater Festival. Um, and again, we've had like one page play competitions with our theater festival. Um, we've actually had um, unpublished uh, playwrights work that we've had um, um, cast and read um, in front of a small audience as well as dramaturgs so they can get feedback and critiques from the audience and from professionals. Um, we've got a center arts gallery, which is our art gallery in the DC center. Um, there's a portion of, um, of our center, which is on 14th and U, is that is nothing but big six foot windows from the street to the ceiling. And so a long time ago, oh, through about three or four years ago, I thought, what a better way to, um, again, be able to give our um, LGBTQ siblings and creatives an opportunity to show their work is in these huge, amazing windows where everyone can see it. Um, so part of the Center Arts Art Gallery is part of our window space, as well as part of our wall space within um, the DC Center. 
Um, we're going on our third or fourth year and we've had at least eight artists um, that have been a part of our art gallery. And I, I can definitely say that 75% of them have been uh, BIPOC or TPOC um, artists, which is again, one of my main goals is to be able to give, um, give our community opportunity to, to show their work and be seen and be heard. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, now, it may be a little different right now because of COVID, but is the art gallery generally open to the public on a regular basis? It is. So the, the, the DC Center is low barrier. Anyone can come in during our business hours and um, definitely join our support groups in the evening. Um, so yes, it's definitely open to the public um, and yeah, anyone and any, anyone can see it and all the artwork is for sale. Oh, fantastic. Unless, unless the artist has specified um, not for sale. And you're all located at the Reef Center, right? So on 14th and U? Exactly, yeah. Okay. So um, that all sounds really cool. And, but I know that in addition to arts and culture, the DC Center also provides a lot of vital social and peer services for the community. Can you tell us about a little bit about that work? Yeah, I can definitely um, work on that. So yeah, the DC Center um, hosts a peer support group um, services. They're peer led, which means that the members of the community are able to take charge and take ownership of these groups so that they can uh, create a space where people can share stories really honestly. I'm not leading a group for uh, women of color. That's not my life experience. And that's not what, um, that's not, I'm, I'm not the person who deserves to take up space uh, for that community. So we, we do our best to create spaces where community members can share openly and honestly. Um, we also have mental health services at the DC Center. We have two uh, mental health professionals on staff who provide uh, therapy for uh, survivors of trauma and violence in the DC area. Um, and they do one-on-one -on -one mental health services, but they also are gonna start doing, I think in October, some small group um, working through trauma um, uh, sessions where people can talk about their experiences, but also talk about in you know, a group setting, but also learn coping strategies um, and uh, different ways to address and live with the experiences that they happened with and not let them uh, sort of take over uh, their lives, which can sometimes happen when you go through a traumatic experience. Sure. Um, can you give me a couple of examples of the different types of peer support groups? Are they generally demographically divided by gender, race, orientation? Is it a whole mix of things? A uh, little, little, a column A, a little column B. Mm -hmm. um, some of our more, uh, one of the things I'm really excited about um, is during COVID, we were able to transition to doing peer support groups virtually. And with like one or two exceptions, all of our peer support groups either um, increased the number of people who were participating in them regularly or like increased to hosting multiple times a month. Um, so increasing the number of times uh, that they were having meetings per month. Um, some of the groups, um, we have a transgender, a really, really vibrant um, transgender peer support group. Um, they meet a couple times a month and they're awesome and they, they do such hard work. Uh, the facilitators, I love them. They're great. Shout out if you're listening. Um, we have a gender queer peer support group. We also have groups for older LGBTQ adults. Um, shout out to my seniors. Um, <laughs> they meet a couple times a week with the um, groups. So there's Monday morning coffee and conversation and then there's Friday tea time. Um, and 
we are dipping our toes in now that things are a little bit safer to do outdoor events. Um, we're trying to dip our toes into those waters with uh, some of the seniors um, and uh, it's kind of exciting. So I think we're gonna try and do a painting event later this month, uh, fingers crossed that it goes well. Um, yeah, there's a coming out peer support group. Um, there's a group called Universal Pride for folks with disabilities um, and it is led by um, an uh, activist who's really great. And um, yeah, there's just so many groups. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, it, it, you know, I think it's something that um, for a long time, maybe people uh, didn't pay that much attention to um, some of the underrepresented groups within the LGBTQ community that for a long time, there was such a focus on um, LGBTQ folks being, you know, a marginalized community within the community writ large, but for a long time, um, there were a lot of people getting lost and uh, it's always great to see um, some of the improvements that we are all making in our community to make sure that everyone finds a safe and welcoming space for them. Um, so where will people go to find more information about what groups are out there and when they meet? Yeah, definitely. So um, one other thing I can add, um, while, during the pandemic, we've been able to work with a local group to do um, ASL interpretation. And so ASL interpretation is um, available. You got to give me some heads, uh, some head, head, some head, a head start, but um, we're able to arrange for ASL interpretation for any of our groups. Um, so that's something that I'm also really proud of. Um, if you want to find out more, um, the dccenter.org. Um, and then there's a, at the top, uh, there's a navigation bar, just click on social and peer support. And then that'll bring you to the list of all the regular groups. So can you give us, uh, either one or both, uh, can you give us an example of how you've seen some of the work that the DC center has done and how it's made an improvement and an impact in our local community? Every day we see people that um, are going through it, um, whether it be something extraordinarily traumatic um, or just something with their professional life or just they're just going through it and they either have Googled us or been referred to us and they come through our door and every day we, we are able to provide care and support and um, resources um, to be able to bring that person to a better state than what they walk in the door having. Um, so if it's not through our mental um, health services, then it's through just the fact that, you know, we have a cyber center and a lounge and places to sit and be calm and just be themselves and be safe. Or if it's our food pantry or our clothing closet, um, or like we just talked about the 20 to 30, almost, you know, plus um, groups that are happening every single night that they can say, oh, wow, I'll come back to that later. Or can I sit and just sit here in your lounge and just wait for the group to happen? Um, and that's impactful. I mean, when you, you know, get off the bus from wherever you came from because your family has said, get out and you find us, you found a home and you found people who genuinely care and are concerned and want to provide you with the support that you need. Um, and every day, every single day, even when we've been in COVID and been offline, not offline, but um, pivoting to being online, virtually we've had individuals and ha actually have had a, an additional reach to people um, and been able to have provided that safe affirming um, space that just a game changer. 
You can always be updated with any and everything that's going on at the DC Center by, um, you can call us at 202-682-2245. If you don't have internet or can't sign up to our, um, to our newsletter, you can always call us every day if you want saying what's going on. Um, or you know you can go ahead and go on our onto our website and sign up for the newsletter as well. Um, so that's that's a thing that you can do too. Great. Let me ask about a little bit about your mental health services. Um, are they available to anyone, or do you need a referral to um, to come in? And what is the sort of cost barrier to entry for that? So on a, on our website um, under mental health, you will see our qualifications and criteria. But it, it, is, um, it is a free service. We, we do have a grant that will allow us to offer um, quality. We have you know, therapists that, that, that do offer once a week um, or more often um, therapy services, as well as um, uh, individuals working through trauma groups. We've had um, art therapy groups. Um, so, there's, so there's that, but there is, um, there is a specific criteria. Uh, it's not it's not a challenging criteria um we, we don't typically turn people away um especially when they're in crisis absolutely well we uh, you've talked about so many different things from the food pantry and the clothes closet at the support groups the arts and cultural is there any other major dc center um programs or um information that you want to make sure people know is out there um at this time i i that's pretty much who we are and what we do. Um, in regards to community being an advocacy, um, we are a major proponent and a, and a member of the uh, DC LGBTQ Budget Coalition, um, where we have been doing um, testifying and a lot of work with city governments in order to be able to draw more attention to the funding that's needed to our LGBTQ community members. Um, so we do do advocacy in that regard. Uh, we do have Job Club, um, which does meet, I believe, once every two weeks in which we do have an individual who's extraordinary and very well qualified to help people um, with job skills and, and resume writing and, and things of that nature. So there's an opportunity to build more community through, through that, through our job club. Um, but you name it, we pretty much have the support system at the DC Center um, to be able to, you know, help, um, to help anyone get where they where they may want to go in, in a next level of, the, of their life. And if we don't, we do have the ability to refer and to offer resources elsewhere. Yeah, Kimberly mentioned, um, or you know, it's come up earlier that we have a job club um, once a week uh, on Wednesday nights at the DC Center. Um, when we reopen, we are going to, one of the things that I think is very important is we're committing to keeping hybrid meetings and virtual meetings as a possibility. I think the accessibility uh, benefits of having virtual a virtual component to peer support group meetings, to mental health services, to career uh, like job club stuff is, is so important. Um, people can, if they're not comfortable coming to the Reef Center, if they're not comfortable coming out to going to a gay place, but they can still join, click a link and join a Zoom meeting and, and let their let their shoulders down, you know, and breathe a little bit easier being in community. That's really important to us. Cool. So if any of our listeners want to volunteer or get involved with any of the uh, the, the great stuff that y'all are doing at the DC Center, how, how can they get involved? I would love volunteers. I love, <laughs> I work, I work with a lot of volunteers. Um, they're awesome. Um, one of the things we, we could really use is peer support group facilitators um, for members of communities um, to hold space for each other. 
and give each other an opportunity to talk about their life experiences. It, you don't need to be a therapist in order to lead these sessions. These are not mental health sessions. They're opportunities for people to share their stories and laugh or um, talk about their coming out process or, you know, just celebrate the fact that, you know, they got a new job or they had a really good, you know, they had a great dinner or whatever. Um, it's an opportunity to have community with each other. And we know that's so very important. Anyway, um, uh, peer support group facilitators is a huge need that we have, um, but we also know that as the DC Center starts to reopen, we are going to have opportunities for in-person volunteering. Um, in the past, we've created safer sex kits to give out to uh, clubs in DC, uh, like RIP Town, RIP Secrets, RIP The Eagle, but, um, you know, we're looking at uh, building relationships with some other clubs in order to give allow people to make safer sex choices for them. Um, uh, creating hygiene kits uh, for to give away to folks experiencing homelessness. Um, cleaning the DC Center is going to be especially important in a COVID world to make sure that we are able to um, host our brothers and sisters and non-binary siblings in the DC Center in a safe way. Okay, and. Um... Again, the website to find volunteer opportunities is thedccenter.org. Yep. It is, it is thedccenter.org. Um, sad side story. Uh, dccenter.org without the T-H-E at the beginning is like Deerfield Community Center. And I think it's an oh. And they're great, <laughs> but they're not us. Um, so if you want us, you have to go to thedccenter.org and you can do slash volunteers. You can do uh peer support groups you can do slash donate if you want to um there's all sorts of links that'll take you all over the place all right that's great um so i want to thank you again for joining us this has been really informative and fun um and i hope to have you back again sometime after covid when you have updates on all of your great new programming one more time for anybody who missed it can you just give us your um you mentioned a phone number and then do you have any social media handles or anything like that you want people to know about? We're the dccenter.org. Our phone number is 202-682-2245. Um, and then if you honestly like at the DC Center, I think we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're Facebook slash the DC Center or no, just the DC Center. Um, we're all over the place. Uh, we've got a lot of social media. <laughs> All right, good to know. We will uh, be on the lookout for you. Uh, Justin and Kimberly, thank you again. This has been great, and I hope that we get a chance to talk to you again soon. This has been a wonderful and amazing opportunity, and thank you so very, very much for having us. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, uh, my first podcast experience, and you all have made it uh, very, very enjoyable and very calming, so thank you so much. <laughs> okay, thanks. <Bye. laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening.
Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.